Well, if you have your Bibles, yes, we'll be back in uh, Proverbs chapter 25 today. And uh, last week we looked at uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. And uh, just so we can kind of put a continuity to last week and this week, we were dealing with uh, last week uh, pretty much on the doctrinal side of the number one event in the Bible, uh, the single event that really everything in the Bible uh, points to. And uh, it also was the theme of the Bible, and it's mentioned in the Old Testament or referenced in the Old Testament over a thousand times. I never counted them up, but well over 1,200. And that is the establishment of God's throne in righteousness. That was the theme last week. And then we saw all the aspects of that. We saw the establishment of God's eternal government. We know it in the Bible as the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's called the day of the Lord. It's called God's eternal day. It's illustrated all the way through uh, the Bible. In fact, you don't go two chapters in Genesis, then you see how this thing lays out. The Bible talks about God creating everything in six days and resting on the seventh. And of course, we know that to be true. If you will go back and you'll look at those six days of creation and the seventh day that he rests, you will see a picture of man's history on this earth and then the establishment of God's day. That second coming of Christ, where Christ comes back into the millennium, is called the day of the Lord. Remember I told you last week there's two fundamental days in the Bible doctrinally. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, or the day of Christ, is the rapture of the church. One, he comes to get his bride. The other one, God comes to get his wife, the nation of Israel. So they're both very important, and uh, the whole Bible unfolds itself around those two days, whether you're dealing with Christ and the church or uh, God with the nation of Israel. But in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, you'll find where God begins that reconstruction of the original creation. And it says, the evening and the morning were the first day. Then it moves on a little bit, and then it says, in the evening and the morning were the second day. Then it moves on a little bit farther, describes some things, and it says the evening and the morning were the third day. Evening and the morning were the fourth day. Evening and the morning were the fifth day. Even in the morning were the sixth day. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 2, uh, you're going to find that suddenly we come to the seventh day. And on the seventh day, the Bible said God rested from all of his work. And that is a picture of man being on this earth for 6,000 years and the 7,000 year being God's eternal day, uh, God's day of rest that ushers in uh, the throne of righteousness. So you'll find evening in the morning, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. When it comes to that seventh day, the Bible says that he sanctified that day, he set it apart, and made it holy. And you will not find on the seventh day the evening and the morning with the seventh day. And the reason for that is because that illustrates the eternal day of God that we talked about last week. It's an incredible study. You don't go one chapter in the Bible before you see, as we talked about last week, the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ through God's eternal day, which is the theme of the Bible. And we start in Genesis chapter 1 right there, and then you just move right on through it over and over and over and over. He draws our attention to that, that day in the Bible. We looked at that day as it's related to the nation of Israel. We saw how it impacted them. 
Also, we looked at it as it impacts the people uh, who have rejected Christ and uh, tried to establish their own self-righteousness in the place of God's righteousness. And we talked about the final judgment, the great white throne judgment found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. In the Bible, if you've learned this from Bible Institute, for those of you that are in it, uh, you'll find that there are seven judgments laid out in the Bible for you. The Bible um, unfolds itself around these seven judgments. We've talked about them. We've laid them out already in Bible Institute this year when we started the internal stuff, the doctrinal stuff. And uh, the last judgment is going to be this judgment right here. When God comes back to establish his throne in righteousness and he judges the dead and they stand before him and the books are open. You know, that judgment, even though men don't understand it and they certainly don't understand the gravity of it, uh, everybody in some way, shape, or form believes that you're going to have to give an account of something in your life at some point. You know, the idea is in most cases, you know, that when you die, you go up there to heaven and there's a big set of scales. St. Peter's at the gate, you know, going to let you in or not let you in. And there's this big set of scales and all your bad works go in this one and all your good works go in this one. And, if you know, balances it out. If your bad works outweigh your good ones, then you go to hell. If the good ones outweigh your bad ones, then you go to heaven. And that's the, in some form, that is the, has always been the mindset. You're going to stand before God and give an account. But we look at the fact that what we did good versus what we did bad is going to be the determining factor. And I want to say to you this morning, <laughs> that's simply not true. When you get to that great white throne judgment, if you get there, he's going to put you in this hand, and he's going to put Jesus Christ in his hand. He's going to weigh you out. That's how it works. And then we look from the book of Psalms to the book of Proverbs, the laughter of God, one of the most horrific, unbelievable doctrinal teachings are anywhere in the Bible, the laugh of condemnation. And uh, we covered all that last week in chapter 25 and verses 5, 6, or 7. Now today... We're going to move on in the same chapter, verses 8, 9, and 10. And within these verses now, we're going to kind of shift gears. Uh, we're going to find some great practical lessons here on life and dealing with people. And uh, it's some great material here. Now we have, and I, I briefed them yesterday. Yesterday we had our people ministry. Uh, I have a group of probably 80, 90 people who have committed to work with me. Uh, in helping people. It ranges all the way from basic discipleship up to third level major problems of people, you know, have uh, satanic strongholds in their life, addictions, whatever. We're here, bad marriages, going through some really tough times. This church is here for you. And obviously I'm one man as the church grows and gets bigger. Uh, I have reproduced what I know, uh, what I've learned in the lives of men and women who wanted to learn it. And uh, they work with me side by side. And we call it simply the people ministry because the ministry is people. And I told them yesterday that this was going to be, a, a, you know, I'm bringing them through uh, all the different patterns in the Bible of dealing with problems. And I told them from time to time on Sunday morning, we'll hit a place in the Bible that, that fits right into where we're at. And so I'm just going to take and add this to what you're already getting, what you got yesterday. And uh, so uh, I told him yesterday, this is going to be of a great benefit to you uh, because you're going to find some great principles uh, in a practical way of, of dealing with people's issues and problems that you're going to get into. 
When you start to work with people, you have entered into the one most complex world that exists because people uh, all come at their problems from different angles. Fundamentally, the problems, the cause, and the effect are the same. An unsaved man will have the problems he has for simply one reason. A saved person will have the problems they have simply for one reason. But where it gets complex is when you start to get into the individual personality and dealing with the nature that they're, that old sin nature versus the new nature, it can get quite challenging. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a great thing. So you're going to learn today from that. And I want to read for you today Proverbs chapter 25, and we're just going to read verses 8, 9, and 10. And I think it'll be a, a benefit for you. Uh, and just when I'm done, Chris, I want you to stand up and ask God's blessing on the service today, okay? Go not forth hasty to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof. When thy neighbor hath put thee to shame, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. Chris, you ask God's blessing on our time today. Lord, we thank you. Amen. Now these verses, will, we will find uh, as we go through these, that these three verses are clearly connected to a single thought. And so I want to look at the verses individually, but I want to tie them back to that individual single thought. And the thought is dealing with things that you hear, dealing with things that people will tell you. And that is going to be the central theme here as we come through this. Now look at verse 8. He says this, Go not forth hastily to strive, let, uh, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. Now the verse will be vital in understanding how to deal with people who are in situations that you and I have to deal with. Now I go back to the people ministry a moment. And uh, I, I told them when we started that I'm going to train you to be an extension of my ministry. I want you to look at problems, handle problems, deal with problems the way that I would. I do mine based on the principles of the Word of God. I expect them to do it too. I tell them when we get into the people ministry that, uh, that and this will happen, that there are no secrets between me and you with the people that you're working with. Many times you're working with somebody and they will tell you something and they'll say, well, don't tell Bob. And of course, uh, we know that, that we'll never fix anybody's problems by you and I allowing somebody to come in between us. And I've said it many, many times in probably a more graphic way, the first time you do that, you're out of a job. As simple as that. We work together. And we realize the purpose, and this is why I want to say this, the purpose why we work together is never to hurt anybody. It's always to help somebody. But you're going to find out, dealing with human nature, that sometimes people will say, oh, I want to get discipled. And you know this to be true. Oh, I want to get my marriage fixed. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to get my life back to God. We have had, if, if, if we had everybody that's, that has come through this church have, would have stayed in this church, uh, we'd we outgrow this whole building and we'd be, you know, meeting down at the Chief Stadium someplace when they weren't playing their games. 
the reason why we are still here and growing at the rate that we are growing, which there's certainly nothing wrong with, is because you're going to find in dealing with human nature, most people don't want to do what they need to do. Most people that you're going to deal with want you to treat their symptoms. They don't want you to solve their problems. It's a lot like you go to the doctor and you got strep throat and he puts you on antibiotics. This is more true of men than it is women because women are much smarter than men and much more diligent men. Right, ladies? Right, ladies? Thank you. I know what I've done many, many times, but I've learned my lesson. You take the medicine until you start feeling better. And then, and then when you start feeling better, you don't take the medicine anymore. Now, let me explain that. Let me go inside. You stop taking the medicine not because you just feel better. You stop taking the medicine because now that you feel better, here it comes, you think you know more than the doctor does. You think you know more than the pharmacist does. And you don't. And so you'll get sick over and over and over again till you learn your lesson. If I was your doctor, I'd make you stay sick the rest of your life and never give you any more medicine, but that's just me. But that's, how, that's what we do. That's human nature at its best. And you're going to find that when you start to work with people, many times, not exclusively, but many times, once they start to feel better about their problems, you're going to find that they now know more about it than you do, or they think they do. And of course, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be the problem. So we want to talk today about all aspects of this. And uh, some of the things I'm going to say, I said what I said about the people ministry, because some of it does not apply to you because we share information because we work together. So I want that to be very clear. Now, the first thing he says is this, or what he's trying to get across to us is this. Don't jump into a situation and make a judgment call till you have all the facts. That's what he's saying. Don't believe everything you hear. The old saying was, believe, uh, believe nothing you hear and only half of what you see. You have to come to the place where you put into your life a foolproof, fail-safe system of checking things out for yourself. Now, I've been in this business a while, and I've dealt with a lot of people. And uh, some things that I have learned in dealing with people uh, and their compounding issues and what goes on in their life, I try to pass on to you. Our people ministry, as much of it is starting in the Bible, bringing you through real-life scenarios, patterns, principles, models in the Bible that show you in any given situation exactly what you are to do. The Bible's not, dealing with people's problems are not hard. It may be hard when they don't want to do what they need to do, but on your end, it's not. If you just understand a simple basic rule, God in his Bible has put everything into a pattern form. Everything in life goes by a pattern in the Bible. And people get the idea you got to, you got to, Go inside, outside the Bible. and all. No, 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 no. I mean, what you want to do is you want to identify the pattern for the problem that the person has, and then when you deal with them, follow the pattern. Now, I give you this. Everybody's a little different, so you might have to tweak the pattern, but just same pattern. And that's what we have to learn. 
and I've learned some things dealing with people. Hey, I've made my share of mistakes. I don't want you to think that I just, all my life, I just had a perfect handle on dealing with people's problems. That's simply not true. It's a learning process that I went through, much like you're going through. That's why I cut you slack sometimes when you, when you maybe you don't handle it exactly right. I, I never look at exactly why, you know, how you did it, but when I see the motive is that you were trying to do the right thing, you just didn't have all the pieces, I can, I can understand that because I've sure screwed it up over the years many, many times. And I've learned that you need to be careful when you hear things about someone else. And in dealing with people, and, and one of the great principles we use is, is uh, responding versus reacting. In marriage situations, if you want to cut down the fights between you and your wife, you know, uh, or you and your husband, you simply learn how to respond instead of react. When somebody want to have a, no problem with people, uh, you know, just simply respond instead of react. A, a good example of that is you're going down the freeway and some clown pulls right out in front of you. Doesn't put on their turn signal, almost clips the front of your car. Y- your first inclination is one of reaction. And now you can do that several ways. If you're a very violent person, a couple around nine millimeters over his hood will let him know that he cut in front of you. I wouldn't suggest that. You have the old Christian hand gesture that you could give them. I wouldn't suggest that. I would suggest instead of reacting to them, you respond to them. Drive down the road three or four miles before you give them that special gesture. You know, let it sink in a little bit. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just process it. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Let them know that, let you yourself know that maybe, uh, maybe they're preoccupied. Maybe they have issues in their life. Maybe, maybe they had something else on their mind. Maybe, maybe they were high on marijuana. Maybe they were, you know, maybe they were, they were in a hurry to get somewhere. Nobody got hurt. It got your adrenaline pumped up. That's a good thing. Re, re, respond to it. Don't react to it. And it's the same way when, and I'm going to tell you why, when people will tell you something about somebody else, when people will, will come to you and bend your ear about somebody else and it's not positive, it's negative, you don't want to react by getting on the bandwagon with them. You want to do the biblical principles and you want to respond to it. I'm going to talk to you about that. I'm going to talk to you about some things that, that I've learned from dealing with people. Many times you're going to find that, and you have to be careful. Many times there's a hidden agenda behind what somebody is telling you. We tend to believe that because they said it, that that's just, that's the gospel, you know. Many times behind what somebody says, there'll be, a, be jealousy about that person. Many times there'll be envy about them. Many times they themselves have an issue with that person that's never been resolved. So they want to paint that person in a bad light to you because to them that person is, is a bad person. Whether, whether they are or they're not is, not immater- is immaterial. Sometimes people will accuse others of the very same thing they're doing to mask and cover up their own sin so they can get the spotlight off of them and put it on somebody else. Sometimes they will, they will sandbag somebody because they want to elevate themselves and that person they look at as a threat. 
And, and, and we need to be very careful just buying what somebody tells you. And, uh, you know, many times the person who's telling you something about somebody, they don't have even have any direct knowledge about it. They got it free or fourth hand down the line someplace. And their whole, their ministry is they are the minister of information. And they're just passing on. They themselves wasn't anywhere around when what they're telling you about this, this person, gal or guy. And, and I know for a fact, human nature, the flesh, when we tell our side of the story, we always make ourselves look better than it really is. Amen. That's just the law of self-preservation. I've, been, I've dealt with marital situations all my life, you know, where the husband and wife have problems. And you get them separate someplace after we have an initial meeting, and I, you know, and I, and I deal with what I got to deal with, whatever it may be, if I have to come down on the husband or I have to come down on the wife or I have to come down on both of them. Uh, many times, it depends. People are different. But how many times over the years, you know, they have told somebody else about that meeting, and somewhere in the process, I must have left for an hour. Because <laughs> that's not how I remember it. And, uh, but I, I know human nature. I know. I know. When we're going to tell our side of the story, we're going to put ourselves in the best light that we can. That's just what we do. And people will lie. People will misrepresent. They will tell half-truths to position themselves. And in many cases, it's because they want to destroy somebody. Or at least, as the things I said before, they have some hidden agenda by which they want to, they want to follow. There's a great illustration of this in the Bible, and most of you have heard this before, but it's a thing where I think it's, it's since I know in my own personal life and dealing with people, it is the bedrock foundation pattern that I start with, and I know it is in your life too, that those that work with me. How many times we brought everything back to this? And it's found in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 28. We lovingly call it in the people ministry the Solomon Principle. And it's one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible that will illustrate not only what I'm saying here, but what I'm going to say throughout the rest of our morning. So allow me to read it and just make a few brief comments about it. It says, Then came two women uh, that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. Uh, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that that I was delivered, and this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, uh, we, uh, save we two uh, in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. She rolled over on it and smothered it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me, while thine handmaid slept, and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a prayer. No, 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 no. That's not how it happened. No, 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 king. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, that's not how it happened. Boy, she sounds good. Let me tell you how it happened. But the living is my son, and the dead is thy son, pointing to her. 
And she said, no, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before their king. Now this looks like Jerry Springer. (laughs) They're going to get into it. Then said the king, the one saith, this is the son that liveth, and thy son is now dead. The other saith, nay, but thy son is dead, and, and my son is the living. And the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, uh, in no way slay it. But the other said, uh, Let it be neither mine nor thine, uh, but divide it. And the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no way slay it, for she is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Now, i got to confess to you, for years and years and years, I read that story, and I was a little confused. Especially the last part, when it said all of, all of Israel, uh, you know, wondered at his wisdom by the way he handled this. And I never saw it in a biblical light. Once I got a little more into the Bible and I read the book of Hebrews and other places in the Bible, I realized that the Word of God is likened in Hebrews chapter 4 to a sharp two-edged sword. Then I began to see the principle emerge. Now, first of all, here's the situation you're going to find yourself in just like Solomon. Solomon doesn't know who these women are. He does not know who they are. He didn't call any witnesses. He's got two women standing before him. One says, it's my baby. The other says, no, it's mine. He has no idea whose it is. But he does one of the most incredible things that is a picture of what you and I do when we find ourselves in a similar situation with a he says, she says. And that is a fact he called for the sword. The sword being a picture of the Word of God. Hey, when you have people to come in and they have issues and you don't know them, I'll tell you what Solomon did know. He knew they both were harlots. That's the first thing you need to realize when you start dealing with people. They're sinners. There's no perfect person. There's no perfect Christian. We all can give way to our old sin nature. And when he's looking at these two women, the first thing he says is, they're both harlots. They're both sinners. I can't believe either one of them. I don't need to. Bring me the sword. Now, that's a great picture that when you deal with people and they tell you something that you don't know if they're telling you the truth or not, the greatest way to find out the truth, put them under the sword. Put them under the Bible. Put them into a program in the Bible that will require them to be accountable to the principles of the Word of God. Put them under the sword. You don't have to decide who's telling the truth or not. You just got the sword tell you. It's one of the most fantastic principles anywhere in the Bible. And when you start to work with people, this is where you start. This is home base. Realizing that people will tell you whatever. You have to have an infallible system that will always show you the truth. And of course, in this case here, it's the sword, the Word of God. So you want to be careful buying the accusation that the person is bringing to you. 
especially if they have no dog in the fight. I mean, the truth is, we're going to move into this part of it here in a little bit. The truth is, if their motive was right and biblical and pure and right, they wouldn't be spreading the accusation to you. That's your first clue. If, what, if they're really where they need to be with God, they would know the pattern for dealing with something, with somebody, that's not the pattern. But they don't do that. They just keep moving it on down the road, so to speak. Now, Solomon finds himself in the same predicament that, that you and I will find ourselves in many times. And in the story, he didn't know uh, who was telling the truth or not. So what he does... Hebrews chapter 4, he brings a sword and he says, cut that baby in half. And the real mother, see, the real mother, here's how it produced the truth. The real mother would have rather had her baby raised with a woman that wasn't a mother than to see her baby dead. You know what the Word of God will do in your life? It'll produce the truth. It'll show you exactly who's doing what's right and who isn't. Because in doing what's right, there's patterns. There's principles that you follow. And when you're dealing with a husband and a wife, or you're dealing with two people, or you're dealing with uh, uh, whatever you're dealing with, you always look for the one who follows the principles. You give them what the Bible says, and then you just stand back and see if they follow it. If a day, two days, a week later, they're violating the very principle by going back to, then you know what you got. It's not complicated. The Word of God will always produce the truth. And the principles of the Word of God will always show you who's lying and who's not because uh, 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 of the truth of that book and the principles and the patterns that you follow. Now, Solomon heard both women. He listened to both of them making their statements. Now, do you know why he did that? Because all through the book of Proverbs, we have principle after principle after principle that Solomon himself is following. And it may not say he's following it here, but you know he's following it because he talks about it, and he is what I try to tell you to be. He never, he understands one great truth. God never violates his own principles. Those principles are absolute. You want to find out the absolute truth in any given situation? Follow the absolute principles. That's what he does. So he hears both of them. He doesn't say, I'm a busy day today. Just have somebody come in and tell me what it is. Uh Uh-uh. He listens to both women's stories before he makes his judgment call. And this is one of the greatest truths found anywhere in the Word of God. And he's following his own principles, his own proverb, because he's following here Proverbs 18, 13, which is one of the greatest truths anywhere in the Bible, where it simply says, He that answer a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Simply put, there's two sides to every story. And you make up your mind that somebody is guilty. You make up your mind that somebody is this or somebody is that. Or this situation is this. Or this husband is this. Or this wife is this. Or this person is this. Without hearing both sides of the story. You'll be just like 
the verse that we're reading here, the first verse, you won't know what to do at the end. You know why? Because it'll be folly and shame unto you. Now, you want to mark that verse in your Bible. People, well, many times, as I said, they'll have a hidden agenda why they're, why they're doing what they're doing. You never buy what they say because they're all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You realize that you have to get both sides of the story because he that answer a matter before he heareth it, foolish and shame unto him. He's going to have some trouble. Now, I have a message that I preached. I never really preached it to you. I use excerpts in different parts of it, but it's a message called the sins of the saints. Now, the sins of the saints, you might guess it, found in Proverbs again, and it's Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. And in that passage, you'll find, I won't read it, it's a familiar passage, I can tell you about it, uh, it says the six things that God hates, and the seventh is an abomination. So it talks about the seven things that God hates. Now, historically, that's it's given to Israel. Doctrinally, this is the unspiritualistic characteristics of the devil. Inspirationally, it's the sins of the saints. It's the things that we as God's people have entered into the newness of life. Old things have passed away. All things become new. It's the sins that should be out of our lives, but for some reason... And they're very clearly connected with the devil. I mean, if you look, it's in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There's your second six. And then there's six things, six, 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 clearly connected to the wrong guy. Yet for the life of me, I do not understand why God's people embrace these. You're supposed to be different than this. You're supposed to live above the worldly circumstances. You're supposed to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your soul has been regenerated. Amen. You're now seated in heavenly places. God has given you the mind of Christ. Why do you, we insist as God's people to follow the six things that make up the characteristics of the devil in our Christian life? You know what they are? First one's a proud look. Pride was the number one problem in the Bible because it's where it all started with the devil. And I will say this, because it was the first sin in the Bible, it'll be the number one problem in God's people's lives. Amen. It'll be our pride. Pride will keep you from saying, I'm sorry. Pride will keep you from taking the blame when it's your fault. Pride will keep you from, from uh, making amends with somebody. Pride will give you to the place where you will think that uh, you'll hold a grudge against somebody all of their lives. The second thing is a lying tongue. That's Proverbs chapter 25. Lying about something that isn't true. Telling the story from your perspective, building it up a little bit to make yourself look good, to make the other person look bad. Happens all the time. Hands that shed innocent blood. Oh, you kidding me? The great thing is, well, I never killed anybody. My Bible says over there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, if you hate somebody in your heart, you're a murderer. Wicked imagination. Man, we don't even have to go there. We did that in Ezekiel yesterday, didn't we? Ezekiel chapter 8 and 9. Feet running swift to mischief. Boy, that's a good one for God's people. 
You know, God's people are the most problematic people on the planet. They get themselves in more trouble. They get themselves in more problems. The reason why Christianity is stalled like a, a four-wheel drive in 40 feet of mud and not going anywhere is simply because of the bad decisions that we all make. And we make bad decisions simply for one reason. Our feet are too busy running to the wrong things. That's how it works. I'm sorry, I'm not, didn't plan on preaching these, but hey, look at them. It's like that alien movie. When you look down inside this thing, it gets all over your face, man. I can't see now, but I'm just, I think I got this memorized for the rest of the day. Sometimes the Bible just jumps on you like that. It does. False witness. And then, of course, the last one, sowing discord among the brethren. You see, when the devil wants to destroy Christianity, which he wants to do, like he wanted to destroy Israel, so he infused these seven things in Israel. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. You betcha. I mean, over there in Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 13, it tells the story that, uh, these, uh, uh, about the nation of Israel and seven wicked spirits go into him, which were worse than the one that was in him. There they are. And when the devil wants to destroy either the nation of Israel or Christians and Christianity, he'll use God's people to do it through his unspiritual, spiritual gifts that he wants to give you. And God's people are willing to embrace them. So knowing that, we all tell the story of our lives from our own viewpoint. So you want to make sure you get the facts. There's an old saying that if you're in a room here and I tell a story to AJ and AJ tells it to you and you tell it to him and you tell it to him and you tell it to him and it works all the way back here, by the end of the day, it's not a story anymore. It's a, it's a novel. You got to take, you got to hear both sides of the story. And then you let the principles of the word of God through the hand of God show you based on the pattern and the principles, what you got. There's no deception with God. You find preachers that uh, in their preaching are deceptive. They don't always tell you the truth. You sell people in their relationships. They're deceptive. When it comes to the characteristics of Christ, there is no deception. Everything is light, clear. I dealt with a pastor one time, or, or helped him with a situation that he had, and he called me, and he says, and I get this quite often, somebody or a pastor will call me and say, hey, I've got a situation here, I just, you know, I like to run it by you, and, and, and you know, tell me what you think, I, how I to handle this. And uh, he told me this story, between a husband and a wife, you know, situation, and I said, uh, did you get both sides of the story? Did you sit down and listen to both of them uh, individually? Uh, so they were free to say what they wanted to say. And he says, yeah, he says, I got completely two, completely two versions that didn't line up at anything. And his statement to me was this. He says, I guess the truth lies in the stories that I heard. He says, I just guess the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And I said, you know, I said, that's never true. I said, because the truth will always be found in the one who's doing what the Bible says. You look for that. Now, I give you, there's times that neither one of them do what's right, but that's even easier. Once you know the pattern, once you know the principles, you don't get, you don't get, 
You, you, you don't get a smoke screen don't affect you. I, I, you can tell in a heartbeat when somebody's not doing what's right. You know why? Because you've been patterned already. Just like you shoot somebody. You know, this is not a day and age to try to kill somebody, shoot somebody, or do something terrible thing and think you're going to get caught with it. Man, they'll, they'll, you shoot a guy and you'll run off, nobody sees you, no cameras around, and you think you made it, they'll find a shell casing and get your fingerprint on the shell casing when you put it in the clip. And they'll find you. You'll break into somebody's car and think that nobody, and they'll find you by the fingerprint or the DNA. In other words, they have learned in solving crime that there is a pattern to crime and the human body has DNA and fingerprints which establishes you in, 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 in any situation. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible principles are the DNA that rats you out. Yeah, that is good. Because, as I told the pastor, you always got to look for the one who's doing what the Bible says. And when they're doing what the Bible says, there's no deception. There's no lies. There's no half-truths. There's no I'm going here when you're somewhere else. It's, it's clear. It's plain. So you always look for the one who is following what the Bible says to the best of their ability. And you never be hasty in your judgment. You hear it out, then you prove it out. 1 Kings chapter 3. Sometimes, know this, sometimes people will try to use you to hurt somebody else. And you would never knowingly allow that to happen. But because you don't follow the principles and the patterns, and you don't hear both sides of the story, you hear what somebody says, you agree with them, or at least you don't take it any farther than that, and then you become complicit in them trying to hurt whoever they're trying to hurt. Early on in my ministry, and I, you know, I, I don't claim to be the smartest guy on the planet. That, that's not me. I always just tell you I'm the smartest guy in a slow class. I, I, I've had to learn a lot of things the hard way in my life. That can be good or bad. Somebody says, well, those are the best lessons you learn. Yeah, but they hurt like the Dickens, I want to tell you, sometimes. But I've watched people try to use me to hurt somebody else. And I just simply, when it comes to you guys, I won't allow that to happen. I had a gal one time, a guy, a gal and a girl were boyfriend and girlfriend. They're, they're no longer. She's married and he's married someplace else and now they got another whole set of problems. But anyway, they were, they were dating here in this church. It's been a number of years ago. And uh, they got in spit fat fights, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it, you know, this. And so she calls me on the phone one night. And she tells me that this guy that she has been with is out here doing all these things. And she just says, I thought you ought to know. And now, Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Here it comes. I reacted. I didn't respond. It made me mad. Because I had put this kid in some positions and, and what she told me, you know, here's my mistake. She's a sweet little gal. She was a nice little gal. I forgot the fact that she had horns growing out of her head and demons all around her. <laughs> as you all do. As I do. 
So I reacted. And I called the guy on the phone. And I just ripped him a new one. I mean, I just, I just wailed into him. Come to find out that that was not the truth. Now, you want the last part of verse, that verse? What do you do at the end when your neighbor has shamed you? That was me. And we've all been in that situation where we've done something stupid and it's, now what do I do? I, I you know, you have your life verse around the campfire. Mine's not even in the Bible, but it ought to be. It's just, now what do I do? I mean, that's, we, we've all been there. And I, and I felt embarrassed. I felt in shame. And then I was angry. Because I realized in a heartbeat that this little sweetheart gal had used me to make him look bad. And I fell for it. And I, I, that's been several times over the years that that's happened. doesn't happen anymore. It hasn't happened for a long time. I'll, I'll tell you another story. This one, even better yet. Do you like these stories? Yeah. I'm going to put pictures up here on the movie screen so you can actually see them. Gal called me on the phone. This has been a while back. I changed the names and the places to protect the guilty. <laughs> Gal called me on the phone and she said, uh, Bob, she says, uh, my husband is, uh, I, 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 we need to, I want you to bring church discipline against my husband. And I said, okay. I said, yes. He said, he's, he's fooling around with all these women and he's doing this, he's doing that. And uh, I, uh, you know what, uh, he's uh, posting pictures of himself on, uh, uh, on uh, yeah, thank you, uh, <laughs> those picture-pasting places. And he's, uh, he's, uh, I, I, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this. And he says, she says, I'm so sick of this. I want, I want the church to bring him before that church and discipline him. That was the phone call she gave me. My response was this. Now, see, I didn't react this time. I learned a little bit in life. I said, well, I said, I, I'm sorry to hear that, but I said, bottom line is this. I said, I need to talk to him. I said, I don't have a problem doing that if that's the case, but I want to I hear his side of the story. Well, why do you want to hear his side of the story? I just told you what he's doing. And I said, yeah, I know, but I don't ever do anything on that major level without hearing where he's at with the thing. Well, she got irate with me, left the church, come to find out well, this is how they'll use you. Come to find out, she has already been involved with another guy. She had already made plans to be with this guy. The guy that her husband wasn't doing any of those things. He was out of touch and I couldn't get a hold of him. What she wanted was me to church him, to bring him before the church when he had no say to defend himself clobber him on her say, and then she would have the liberty and the right to say, well, because look what the church did. He was wrong. She would then justify and say, I found me somebody else, when she already had everything but the honeymoon suite candles being lit. That's what they'll do to you if you don't respond and you react. I, I'm just telling you. You, you've got to realize that people many times will have an agenda and they want to draw you in. If they were really doing the right thing, you would never hear about it. If you don't pro follow Proverbs 18.13, then as ver 
8 says, you don't know what to do with the end and you get burned and it's shame under you. You look stupid. It's the absolute importance of not just hearing and knowing biblical principles, but the fact that you actually apply and use them in the people you deal with. And as I said, God never violates his own principle. Now, look at verse 9 now. We've got to move through here. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. Now, how much plainer could it be? You got a problem, you hear something, instead of spreading it on to somebody else, you debate thy cause with a neighbor himself. You go to that person. Not everybody else. Find out the facts. They may be wrong, but find out the facts for yourself by using the principles of the Word of God and see where the situation really lies. Let the sword prove it out. Rule number one is God will always have his hand and take care of the one who's doing what's right or trying to do what's right. Hey, we all do dumb things. We all make mistakes. 1 Kings chapter 3 shows us the pattern. You want to look for God's hand. You want to look for the principle involved. You want to see that one will stay with the book and do it by the book. The other one will say that he is or she isn't, but they'll be right back where they were thinking this time they won't get caught again. And the last part of that verse, and discover not a secret to another. That simply means when you go to the Greek, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) If you've got the truth about a story and somebody else wants the truth, let them go find it like you did. Do not be the minister of information. Truth will prove everything. If they don't want to go and get the truth, Don't be the truth bearer to them because the Bible says debate thy cause with the neighbor himself. Look at verse 10. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame and thy infamy turn not away. Now that's a great word, infamy. Uh, Infamy means total loss of reputation. A total loss of character and respect. And he's basically saying, when somebody, when you don't get all the facts and you react instead of responding and you let somebody use you to hurt somebody else or try to hurt somebody else and then the truth comes out. Because we were hasty in our judgment. Because we thought we knew what really happened. But we never bothered to get the whole story, Proverbs 18, 13. And now it's a shame and folly unto us. You drank the Kool-Aid. You believed what they said because you thought they were credible. You believed what they said because they were your friend. You didn't follow the Sodom principle and realize that many times somebody will come and say something to you because they got an ulterior motive. And I'll say it again. The very fact they're coming to you and saying something in the first place tells you there's a problem. Remember, the best argument is a clear statement of truth. You can always find the truth, but the only way you find it is truth with truth. 
I've had people all my life try to badmouth other people and say how terrible they are. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, you're so-and-so in your church? And I say, yeah, they are. He said, well, I won't tell you. You need to watch out for her. You need to watch out for him. And I just simply say, well, thank you very much. You know what? It doesn't go any farther than that. I don't need somebody telling me whether you're good or whether you're bad because I put you under the sword every chance I get, and it'll tell me everything I need to know about you. In fact, while we're sitting here this morning, you ought to see the information that's coming across your desk. That's the way it works. Bottom line in dealing with any situation. When a person comes to you or you're dealing with somebody or in any situation, how this works, you, first and foremost, want to look for the seven fruits of the Spirit of God in that person's life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 lays it out. Because you can fake a lot of things. I mean, you could come here this morning and your insides could be as black as the bottom of this pit. You could have been out doing dope last night and doing whatever all God knows. And you come here all dressed up, cleaned up this morning, a little bleary-eyed, but you're good. And you sit there and everybody thinks you're praying the Lord like everybody else. But you know what? You can fake that. But I'll tell you something you can't fake. You can't fake the seven fruits of the Spirit in your life. Because they don't come because you get them out of a book. They don't come because you get them and memorize them. They come because if you have built your life into the character qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you become Christ-like, you don't be devil-like. I don't know who said that was good, but that was good too, what I just said. <laughs> fruit of the Spirit. Notice, fruit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit. Because they're all found in one person, the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And the first one is love. I don't have time to go through all these. It's unconditional love. You love people, but on any conditions. Most of God's people can never do that. They'll love somebody on conditional basis. If they're nice to me, if they're this or that, if they fall into my little parameter, what I think somebody would be, I'll love them. We don't, have, we don't have that right. You know why? Because the first time God looked me and you, we didn't fit into any of his parameters. And yet he still loved us. He loved us unconditionally. Why would a child of God take God's unconditional love and then fail to give that unconditional love to somebody else? Joy. Joy is in our heart out of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is you being happy based on the happenings of life. Joy is everlasting and it's in your heart no matter how bad your day goes. Peace. Oh, my favorite verse on peace, Psalms 119, verse 165. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Try that one. Lady, one time when I preached a message, she came up to me, she said, well, Brother Alexander, uh, and she was your typical one, you know, she, I mean, she was, you could tell she is. <sighs> anyway, she came up and she said, Brother Alexander, I just want to tell you, I was offended by your message. And I said, well, I'm sorry about that. She said, I'd like to talk to you about it. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, first of all, Psalm 165, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, what was your problem? <laughs> See, that's better than hitting them. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It is. I mean, I mean, who wouldn't? I, uh, you know, when somebody, I mean, I'm human. Somebody says, I mean, that was a good message I preached. I, I could have slapped her. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, sometimes 
you can give some a good pounding with your fist, but the rest pounding is the verse that hits them right between the eyes. Well, what do you say after that? Uh, I'm still offended. She walked away with her tail between her legs. I don't even know if she had a tail, but she had a pitchfork and a broom, that's for sure. Long-suffering. You know how long-suffering God was toward you and me? Do you really? I know you say amen, but do you really know that? Probably most of you got saved. Maybe some of you got saved when you were kids. I got saved when I was 19 or 20. And I look at my own life for 19 years. God should have just killed me someplace along the line and stuffed me in a lake of fire. But you know why he didn't? Because he's long-suffering. He put up with me. Isn't it amazing how God will put up with you and me, but we can't put up with somebody else? That's not a character quality of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know what so-and-so did. Well, I know what you and I did before we got saved and what we could talk about after we did get saved. What's the difference between you and them? Long-suffering, patience. God's people are the most impatient people on the planet today. Gentleness. That's compassion. That's in your delivery of preaching or you're helping. You're all, you never want to hurt anybody. I mean, the Word of God may bruise you, but that's what it's supposed to do. The Word of God may bang you up a little bit. That's what it's supposed to do. But that's God. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just preaching what He told me to preach. You're getting mad at me for. Goodness. Goodness. There's only one good in the Bible is always Jesus Christ. We say, my goodness. We use that phrase flippantly. What we're basically saying is, my Jesus. The goodness of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goodness of God is Christ for you and me, and it talks about the character qualities. Your goodness that you have or you should have should be nothing more than the character qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ displayed in your everyday life. And then the last one, temperance. That's balance. That's being able to respond versus react. That's being able to hear something and understand the balance of how you deal with it. Now, I've told you many, many times that the devil is the greatest imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he's so good, back in the book of Revelation in two or three places, when he talks about Christ, the Holy Spirit of God puts in his Christ. So you know there's two Christs. He imitates the Lord Jesus Christ every way. And here I just gave you in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God, the characteristics of God that should be in your life. But the devil imitates that too because in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, you have the seven unholy fruit of his spirit. He imitates the fruit of God just like he imitates everything else. And God's people fall right into it. So God's people get a proud look. God's people get a lying tongue. God's people get hands that shed innocent blood, wicked imaginations, feet that are swift to running to mischief, a false witness, and they sow discord among the brethren, and yet they go, they're, they're God's people. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. They follow, they, 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 they go through all of life. They never miss church. They're deacons. They're Sunday school teachers. They're pastors. They're Christians. They talk about the Lord. They read their Bibles. They do everything that Christians are supposed to do. But why in the world do they have the characteristics of the devil's spirit in their life? And it's as simple as that. Do those seven 
spirits of God, you find what a real child of God should be. He should be one that forgives unconditionally like he loves unconditionally. He shouldn't be one who holds a grudge against anybody, anytime, any place, for anything. And somebody says, well, he never asked for my forgiveness. Let me tell you something. God forgave you in Christ long before you asked for his forgiveness. You idiot. Love, peace, joy. Those are the character qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Those are what we display toward each other. I will never understand how a man or a woman who was saved on their way to heaven has the Holy Spirit of God inside them can give over to the devil's spirit in their life and not take the spirits or the fruit of the spirit found in the book of Galatians. But then I guess the answer to that is the same way they can take the devil's Bible over God's Bible. I guess it's the same thing. A child following the seven fruit of the spirit and filled with them will not mix them with the unholy fruit of the devil. It won't happen. He won't speak to what he doesn't know for sure. And you'll never know for sure till you get both sides of the story. He won't lie about somebody else. He won't ridicule somebody else. He won't bear false witness with somebody else. He won't sow discord with the brethren with somebody else. He will go to that person privately and they will talk about whatever the issue is. And when he talks about it and he gets the answers, then you take it and you prove it through the Word of God and you simply see where the hand of God is in the situation that you're dealing with. It's absolutely simply amazing how God's people will never get the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God in their lives, but will, in their life will have the unholy fruit of the seven spirits that's found in Proverbs. I mean, ask yourself, is the way you teach, treat your brothers and sisters in Christ the way Christ would teach them? I often wondered, in John chapter 4, you have the great story of the woman of the well. I often wondered if that woman would ever even got saved if you and I had been dealing with it instead of the Lord. Here's a woman whose character was completely trash. She just got five husbands that we know about. And she is, she, is, she is the epitome of you and me before we were saved. She is everything against her. She stands in total contrast to everything that God is. And Christ should have done exactly what you and I would have done, bypassed her. Went on and told all the other people, Don't, do you know what she did? Don't, I'm God. I know what she did last night. I know what she did. Five husbands. <laughs> There's 26 That's what we do. He didn't. He did put the emphasis on this. After he forgave her, he said, go and sin no more. That's all he said to her. And she followed that advice. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how unbiblical and unscriptural some of God's saved people really are. And it takes... A sermon like this, where the sword is hanging over the whole place this morning, to really see we who claim to be God's children, why aren't we following the characteristics of Christ? And when somebody in this church comes to you and says, I want to tell you about, why aren't you stopping them dead in their tracks? That's what Jesus would do. That's what I would do. 
You think people haven't come to me and said, well, I'm going to tell you about so-and-so. And I say, you know what? You don't need to tell me about so-and-so. Why is that? Because I like what so-and-so is doing a lot better than what you're not doing. So hit the road. If I need to deal with so-and-so, I'll deal with so-and-so. I don't need you helping me with it. Forget telling me about so-and-so. Tell me about yourself. And I'm just telling you, you've got the choice between the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God or the seven unclean spirits of the fruit of the devil. And a Christian can be saved and on his way to heaven and live, forsake the fruit of the Spirit, and take that fruit. And the Bible does say, by their fruits you shall know them. God's people today are the most unforgiving people on the planet. God forgave you and me in Christ long before you ever asked and I ever asked for it. But boy, we'll not give our forgiveness to somebody. We'll hold on to that thing for years and years and months and months and weeks and weeks and days and days. And we'll just let that thing go to seed. And you know what? If God would do that with you and me, you'd have a cardiac arrest. You wouldn't, you, you'd be on your knees asking God not to do it. See, you're like the guy back in the Bible in the New Testament that, that had a debt to pay, and the Lord said, it's okay, we'll take care of it. And then he had some people that worked for him that had debts to pay, and he went with a ball bat and beat the, beat the, beat the brains out of them. Remember that story? That's what we do. We got God's forgiveness. We should have been in hell, but God gave us our forgiveness. But then our brethren around us, we'll beat them with a ball bat till, they, till they're bloody. Don't tell me about it. I've been in this business too long. I know God's people. God's people ought to be the most forgiving people on the planet based on their understanding of God's forgiveness to them. But yet they rejoice when a brother and sister falls. They high five. They're happy. Let's go and eat. Praise the Lord. They got what they deserve. Well, maybe one of these days you'll get what you deserve. And then you won't be high-fiving so much. I've watched them set people up for failure and thought that was of the Lord. Not only do they rejoice when a brother and sister falls, but when somebody is wounded down in sin, whether it's their fault or not, we're the first ones that want to run up and put a bullet in their head and shoot our own wounded. Did Jesus do that to you? Did he do that to me? When I was laying in the gutter of the road of life and I was oozing out life, destined for the lake of fire, and should have been just scooped up in a big old gospel snow shovel and pitched into the lake of fire. You know what he did? He knelt down by my side, he picked me up, and he said to me, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. We can't do that. Though your sins be as scarlet. How's that? God's people. I've got bumper stickers we're going to sell after this sermon. Put them on your car. Let God kill them all. Let God sort them out. That's what you need. They will hear something about somebody without ever getting both sides of the story. They'll take it and show the discord. They'll never find out the truth, good or bad. 
They'll never get the real truth. And whether it's good or bad, there's always principles that you follow in either case. But no, 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 no. We don't want that. We don't want to put an end to it. We don't want to solve problems. We are want to keep discovering and putting it out because the devil wants to use you and me to destroy the work of God. And at the judgment seat of Christ, I preached it to you before, Job chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. The six questions he's probably going to ask you and me at the judgment seat of Christ. You know what the last one is? 26, 4. Whose spirit came from thee? There it is. God's Galatians 5 or the devil's Proverbs 6. It is so fundamentally basic in its layout you have to really work at rejecting the book to get around this. Now, in closing this morning, I, I just want to give you a quick summary here, and then we're done. Of verse 8 and 9. But three simple principles, and you'll want to take everything I said this morning and put it into these three. Write these down. Number one, before you draw a conclusion about a rumor you have heard, you go to that person and discuss it with him and get their side of the story, no matter who says what. Find out the truth or get both sides of the story. Second principle, don't pass on the information to someone else or even discuss it till you have all the facts. And then you need to be very careful and don't give them any real details, but rather send them to that person themselves that they may follow the biblical pattern to get the answer. And let me just say this, Romans chapter 16, verse 17. We need to start doing this. And if they don't, then do what it says in that verse. Mark those that cause division among you. If they're not willing to follow the pattern, but they want to keep it moving along the line, mark them. You say, well, they'll leave the church. Well, I got a couple really good ones I'll send them to. The third thing, when this is not done, the first two. If you just watch in time, time will prove all things. Old, my old expression is, when nothing else tells, time will tell. You let it prove itself out. And in time, it'll all come out. The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. And you prove it by the Spirit by which the Holy Spirit of God gives you in all matters of dealing with people. God will give you the understanding and give you the ability to see that thing and understand it, put it in the pattern, and see who's following what spirit. Now, it goes without saying, and I know I'm preaching into the wind here on this one. If God's people would just follow these simple little principles found in Proverbs 25, 8, 9, and 10 that we've talked about today, we'd solve 98% of the problems in God's, people, in God's church with the body of Christ. But unfortunately, just like the devil's Bible is the predominant Bible for God's people, the devil's spirit is the predominant spirit that God's people go with. And you want to remember two things, and I'm done. God never violates his own principles. Two, God never steps outside the established patterns by which he uses. You learn those two rules, follow those, discover the patterns, the principles. Let us help you put it together in a format that you can work for you 
and you'll never get caught up in these things. That's why, that's the success of our ministry here. That's why I got 80, 90 people in the people ministry. That's why we got people from all walks of life. They come in with marital problems, personal problems, addiction problems. It doesn't matter. We have the tools because simply our greatest tool is the book of patterns. And when a person, no matter what their problem is, allows themselves to be changed by the pattern and the principles, it's going to work for you. When you won't, it won't. And when you have a church full of the devil's spirit of those seven things, this is why church are some of the most backbiting, angry, bitter people you ever met in your life. They've been following the wrong spirit. And now what you're seeing in their life is the actual fruit of that spirit. Well, when you get in God's spirit, you see the fruit of that. And I'm going to say it again. By their fruits, you shall know them. Let's pray. Father, thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you today. Thank you for uh, the word of God that you've given us for the great book of Proverbs and for the great principles. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that uh, you give us a book that clearly in all areas tells us everything we need to do. We love you. We pray, Father, that we'll embrace those spirits found in Galatians that will become more Christ-like, that will grow up into him and be everything and see everything the way he sees it. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Amen.